listening to a download from the outdoorstation.co.uk. Number 319. Hi everybody and welcome once again to another podcast here on The Outdoor Station, your online radio resource for news, reviews and interviews associated with self-powered outdoor travel. And as I record this, it is the beginning of April 2011, and spring has definitely sprung. The sunshine is glowing, the sky is looking blue, it's uh, it's almost t-shirt weather uh, during the day, and I know it must be spring because I've been instructed to get out into the garden and do some tidying up. So the lawns are mowed, the decking is painted, the furniture has been touched up, and we can start to pretend it's summertime, and we'll get the barbecue out and then freeze to death and rush inside during the pouring rain. But that's not the point, it's the spirit of these things. As I say, it's the beginning of April, and of course, in a few weeks' time, it's the start of the well-known and celebrated TGO Challenge, a 200-mile walk across Scotland where 300 or so people start on the West Coast and finished on the East Coast and develop friendships that last a lifetime in the process. Uh, a way of promoting fellowship amongst backpackers. And uh, Rose and I are once again uh, joining in this year. We're starting from Malague, which is a, a common place that most beginners start from, but Rose hasn't started there before, and it is a beautiful start if the weather's on your side, uh, and a classic ferry ride over to Inverie, and possibly this time a visit to the most westerly pub in the United Kingdom. So uh, that'll be uh, that'll be quite good fun. Uh, and uh, we're obviously going to be uh, closing doors Uh, for a couple of weeks while we do that so if anybody is uh, listening to this and wanting some goodies from us uh, make sure you get your order in uh, before the uh, second week of May Uh, and talking of of gear well uh, things have uh, obviously with the sunshine coming out everybody is starting to think about their their breaks and having uh, a bit of uh, relaxing time uh, in the outdoors and we've been uh, dehydrating our meals and a lot of people have been doing the same type of things uh, but there's certainly been a rush on one or two of the new products uh, namely the uh, Peak Elite uh, is proving to be very popular, very comfortable, very lightweight sleeping mat uh, and that uh, keeps selling out and then being stocked up again and the uh, wonderful small adventure medical emergency bivy um, we all carry a bivy bag with us and obviously over the years these have reduced from those great big heavy duty uh, big orange plastic sacks into uh, other fabrics which are much much lighter and this one has got to be the smallest thing on the marketplace it's about, um, about the size of a small apple when it's crunched down and it obviously does the job as well which is an important part but it saves um, a good, well in some cases almost half a kilo in your rucksack which is important uh, just before I recorded this Rosa just reminded me that we've actually finally sold the last one of the original Oracaso folding plate sets which we have uh, have a great love affair with uh, Jay Cousins the inventor uh, I think he's still running the company Oricaso. Um I'm not too sure about the, what's, what's happened, I know the design has changed slightly but the original ones with the poppers and studs on I thought were absolutely fantastic and um, they always take pride of place in our rucksacks uh, I know many other people as well it's always useful to have a, a surface that you can um, cut food on and repair your food as well as uh, eat goodies from but there are new versions out and um, equally as good uh, and I'd certainly recommend that for people so obviously that's just going off on a tangent slightly but just 
you know, since we started five or six years ago, that was one of the first products we got in, and we finally sold the last one. So, uh, where are we? Well, on this uh, podcast, let's move on to this one. We've got two or three things here, actually. We've got uh, a chat with Simon Eller, the editor of Bushcraft magazine. uh, And that's quite interesting, uh, talking about the convergence. The convergence is a word that's being used in the photographic industry a lot these days. But I'd like to use it in the outdoor industry, convergence, where uh, people are sharing lots of interests in the different aspects of outdoor lifestyle, albeit walking, hiking, climbing, bushcraft paddling or whatever. And it's all coming together with people wanting to learn a bit more about um, each other interests. You never know, it might uh, make your trip a more pleasurable and enjoyable one. Uh, and then we've got uh, an interview with Paul Reynolds from Sigma about some of the new products that have come out from Sigma, new lenses uh, and new cameras, which will be specifically of interest to people interested in landscape photography. Uh, and then um, Andy and I do a roundup uh, at the Outdoor Leisure Show, the one at the NEC recently, the first one uh, of the new version of the Outdoor Leisure Show, and give you, uh, give you our thoughts and, and feelings as to, to what the show contained if you missed it. And there's a few other bits and bobs I'm going to chuck in along the way. So let us start off with uh, landscape photography and uh, what particular lens might be of interest to the outdoors user which is coming out. So here's Paul Reynolds from Sigma. Well the new 1224 I think is going to be perfect. Um, an ultra wide angle. It's developed for the full frame image sensor. So it's equally as good on an APS-C size camera, a more consumer orientated camera. But it's good on full frame as well so you really get a very wide angle uh, angle of view. It's great for landscapes uh, and outdoor photography. It's got a new FLD glass element, uh, which is a fluorite lens element, um, which improves chromatic aberration, which is something you get sometimes with lenses which are an ultra-wide angle lens. If you do uh, pictures of, for example, uh, shadow areas, trees, for example, against a, a bright sunshine or bright sky, sometimes see a bit of chromatic aberration, and this reduces that, so it improves image quality. And it's good for resolution as well. Um, the newer digital SLRs that are coming out all have uh, higher resolution image sensors. Uh, that's the way they're moving forward. And of course, a lot of most people now understand, but some still don't. That you need good quality glass to go on the front of it to be able to cope with those uh, high megapixel sensors. Um, the new lenses that are coming out now are very good resolution, uh, which is designed for that. Every year I, I come to the show, and I've been coming for the last four or five years now. Um, you know, there's a, a, a new revolution in, in quality and obviously as you say the, the sensors are pushing up the lens quality the lens quantity is matching the sensors and vice versa um, how much I mean I, I get the feeling now with the full frame having just gone a full frame myself that uh, I feel like I've, there's, a, there's a big difference between the APS size and the full frame just the same as it used to be between 35mm and 2 and a quarter. And, and it's nice now to find lenses that will match that and actually take that a stage further as well how, how far ahead do you guys work as regards lens development and the techniques and the skills that go into you know, the manufacturing of the lens themselves? That's a very good question and one I'm probably going to struggle with to answer because all the development and the production is based in Japan so we're not particularly privy to, to how far in advance uh, lens development goes on um, at a guess it's going to be a year or, or a couple of years maybe um, they're looking at products, looking at competition, seeing what's out there, um, and designing new lenses. Sigma are known for coming up with lenses which perhaps fill a niche. Um, lens 50 to uh, 150, for example, 
which is an APS-C size equivalent of the very popular 70 to 200 2.8. Right. No one else does one of those. It's um, quite unique to Sigma. You know, you know. Um, so it's looking for, for gaps in the market. Um, as far as uh, how far in advance is uh, the Japanese um, corporation, Sigma Corporation, do develop, I don't, I don't know. I can't answer that really. So are you, is the 5150 lens ideal for sort of a general all-round travelling average use lens or is it further up the scale as regards sort of the quality in relation to the fixed focal length lenses? Uh, the latter, yeah, it's further up the quality. It's a 2.8, so it's a very fast lens. Is it 2.8 all the way through? 2.8 all the way through. Right. Um, right. Just like a, the, this popular 70 to 200 2.8 would be. Um, it's not the smallest lens in the world. It's, it's reasonably big. Um, so it's probably not the perfect lens for travel. Um, it incorporates an optical stabiliser. And we do, for example, an 18 to 250, which is very popular. Uh, and that's much more compact. Um, it's a slightly slower aperture, obviously, to get the size. But that's perfect for travel. It encompasses your wide angle, uh, your, your medium telephoto, close focusing and, and long telephoto, doing you know, landscapes, for example, if you want to zoom in close and pick up detail in a, in a scene. Uh, that's got a, a built-in stabiliser, um, which gives you about a four-stop um, leeway, which you wouldn't have otherwise, and high-speed motor as well. So the, the built-in stabilisers, are they, are they built around the gyroscopic system, or is there some other clever electronics going on there? It's built around electromagnetics. So when the lens hasn't got any power going through it, the optical stabilisation system... If, not that I'm suggesting anyone should shake their lens, because you shouldn't, but if you were to, you would hear the, the optical system shake a little bit because there's no electromagnetics holding it in place. As soon as you power the camera up, the electricity goes through into the, into the camera, into the optical block, and the stabiliser kicks in. And that's when you press the shutter button halfway and it clicks into place. So, I mean, uh, does that mean then that the newer lenses that have that in are slightly more fragile than the sort of the traditional lenses where it's all, that, that, that's, that technology doesn't, it isn't involved? No, I wouldn't say they're any more fragile. Um, you don't shake a lens whether it's got an optical stabiliser built in. If you drop it, it'll probably break, whether it's a stabilised lens or not. Um, but you know, like any optical piece of equipment or anything that costs uh, any, any amount of money, you'd be careful with it. But I wouldn't say it's more fragile. No, no, well, that's good to hear. Um, how about the, the, the compacts going through? Because the last time I came through and, uh, and spoke to someone, they, obviously the, the new rangefinders had come out, the fixed focal length rangefinders, a very wide angle. Um, and they've, uh, have they moved on a generation now? Uh, the compacts, they're, they're moving on, they're being updated all the time. Uh, we've just released a DP2X, which is in itself similar to the DP2S, uh, the, the current uh, version. It's got an APS-C size image sensor and uses the Fovian three-layered sensor technology. So at every pixel location, you, it picks up red, green and blue, rather than a Bayer type, which would guess... Uh, other colours around it, so it would only pick up one colour, effectively, and then guess at the other two, which is very good, but not quite as accurate as it would be otherwise. Um, the DP2X, the latest one, for example, incorporates a new function, new technology called Analog Front End, which essentially just improves image quality at higher ISOs. Um, it's little, little features like this, but it's mainly the 
the image quality built from the sensor. Um, there's not many compact cameras with an APS-C size sensor, uh, and when you get that, uh, especially a Fovium one, the, the pictures really do jump out at you. Very, very good quality. Uh, so with all the, the new lenses then and the new products we've just been speaking about, when can we expect them on the street? They'll be available soon. We think about a month's time, and maybe we should have them all in the UK. So we're looking, yeah, mid, mid the year, some summertime? Yeah, spring, hopefully a bit before then, yeah, mid, late, late spring, yeah. With over a million listeners worldwide, the Outdoor Station is the leading online audio resource for those into the great outdoors. I wonder if uh, 2011 will be the year that new media really takes off. Now, you could argue that it's already taken off with, uh, with um, blogs and the website and uh, videos and podcasts and so on. But really, we are uh, perhaps up until the last 12 months, we are tied to sitting at our desk with a laptop or a computer of some nature to read and access this information. Now, uh, I'm told uh, Andy, who's been down in London recently, and uh, a few other of my family contacts who commute every day, tell me that iPads are the future. And uh, they get onto the train each morning and evening, and everybody is there plugged into their iPads, uh, either reading the news or watching some entertainment they've downloaded from YouTube or wherever. Uh, and that's how people are absorbing information. Which is interesting, as this ties in very accurately with uh, information that's been released recently from ABC, the Audit Bureau of Circulations. And uh, OCC magazine, the trade magazine, writes it up as follows. Britain's two leading outdoor magazine, Trail and Country Walking, have published circulation data for 2010 that shows that both being hit hard by falling sales. Figures provided by the industry body, the Audit Bureau of Circulations, show that market leader, Country Walking, sold a monthly average of 39,519 copies during 2010, and this represents a fall of 8% on year-on-year. Trail Magazine, meanwhile, suffered an even steeper decline of 13%, with sales down from 40,000 in 2009 to a monthly average of 35,395 last year. Of the two publications, the figure for Trail is the more serious, and not solely because the magazine lost more copies. With a smaller percentage of its copy sales, 40% compared to Country Walking's 49%, achieved through annual subscription. Trail magazine will be more vulnerable to peaks and troughs in news trade sales. Publishers Bauer will also be concerned about what effect the reduced circulation will have on Trail's current domination of the outdoor pursuits advertising sector. Of the six leading outdoor publications regularly audited by OCC Outdoor, Trail accounts for 27% of all ad paging and an estimated 40% of all revenue to do with advertising in the outdoors world. Which is quite interesting. Now, if you remember those figures I mentioned, that's um, monthly sales, country walking 39,519, and uh, trail at 40,674. Um, the podcast download figures for the outdoor station is 84,000. So we actually have three times the amount of downloads on a monthly basis than they do sell copies of the magazine. 
So I wonder, does this mean that new media is actually coming of age and uh, we're going to start to see a bit more of a convergence? There's that word again. Convergence of uh, all this media coming out in, a, in a one particular place that you can enjoy it. Uh, now, with that in mind, uh, we're actually putting some uh, investment into the Outdoor Station uh, website. Uh, we're going to um, improve it. It's, it's pretty poor at the moment. It's very, very basic because that's all I can manage to do with everything else that I'm doing. Um, but uh, we've got somebody looking at that at the moment, and we hope to be launching that uh, possibly in about a month or so's time uh, where we have uh, a variety of um, material on there. Uh, and uh, it's a bit more of a, a, a friendly, a user-friendly resource for people looking for uh, audio and video material for their um, for their entertainment to do with the outdoors, uh, obviously, the outdoors lifestyle. And with that in mind, uh, Rose and I have been working on, on how we can actually uh, produce uh, some more video work uh, with some of the trips they're doing on the TGO. We're using that as a, a bit of an experiment to see if we can actually take uh, a certain amount of equipment with us that doesn't um, destroy the enjoyment of the uh, of the walk, but it allows us to share um, some experiences, some of the views, and perhaps um, see some of the equipment working in various conditions to give you an idea of uh, what may or may not be appropriate to uh, to you and your needs uh, as you're looking for for items, uh, and obviously, hopefully, prove to be a bit of entertainment as well. There's a fine line between the technicalities of uh, producing something which is uh, produced, should we say, to the level I'd like to do, the same as the audio to a broadcast level, uh, and the practicalities of actually having to carry it for two weeks. Uh, and, of course, uh, you're talking about chargers and batteries and leads and connectors and microphones and all sorts of things. And it starts to get... Uh, there's more equipment in a one rucksack than actually the, the equipment you need to eat, sleep and survive. So uh, with a bit of a fine line, but it's a bit of a, um, a, bit of a dry run because uh, we've got another trip planned uh, later on in the year uh, in association with the new book which is coming out, which is the coastal path uh, around Guernsey, Hearn, Sark and Alderney and Jersey, uh, which I think will be of interest to people. So we're hoping to go over there for a few days and um, do a few miles, uh, interview a few people and explain just how much fun it can be. Uh, and uh, give you some background, uh, perhaps a bit of inspiration to make that your next destination uh, somewhere easy to get to from the UK and hopefully fairly affordable. So, talking about affordability, bushcraft is a great pastime and it's very affordable because the skills, everything you need is in your head. You only need a certain amount of material, a certain amount of equipment and the rest of it is purely getting out and enjoying it and sharing the knowledge. Uh, as I mentioned earlier on, I spoke to Simon Eller from Bushcraft Magazine whilst we were at the Outdoor Leisure Show uh, and asked him how the show was going and also uh, for a bit more information about uh, the type of people and trends that are changing uh, that actually approach him and the magazine. Really good show. Um, we During the setup period, we sort of had a look around. There's a lot of good quality outdoors stands and a, a good outdoors feel to it. Um, some shows are kind of deviating a bit and there's... The kind of thing that you'd expect to see at a, a market um, type thing. Um, today, very busy. First day of the show, it's a Friday, which is usually the quiet today. Um, really busy in terms of the stand here. We've we've got demonstrations such as spoon carving, 
um, from a log to a bowl with uh, a pole lathe, um, cleaving a tent peg, making a spatula. We've got willow basket weaving. We've got fire lighting, which which is always a success. Um, Perry McGee's doing tracking techniques and making grass rope. So we've got a grass rope swing over there. People can have a go on. Um, I mean, this the, this layout, this format I've seen now in a few shows you've done is obviously working very successfully for you. Sure. This um, this time it's it's more bias on the craft side hence the pole lathes and and the shaving horses and things Um, but it's yeah people like to come and get involved and see the kind of raw materials used and transformed um, which is what bushcraft's all about really and it's nice to see i mean it's half term isn't it at the moment so uh, obviously there are a lot of families that are loose end and kids at loose ends but it is nice to see them uh, i see them sitting at the table they're doing the spoon carving they're they're, uh, queuing up to do that Indeed, we, we've actually had to, to do a, an extra session now because yeah. there were so many people putting their names down and people that have travelled a distance that can't come back again. Um, so we're really oversubscribed. So, no, it's very good. Excellent. Really good. So tell me about the, the magazine then. Um, I, I spoke to you, what, about a year or two years ago possibly? Two, it would um, be, yeah. And it was, you know, fairly buoyant. There were a lot of people, families again, wanted to get in touch with nature and uh, showing a lot of interest in the, in the contents. Is, is that still the same? Has it changed at all? It's, it's still very much the same. We've, we've actually found there's, there's more interest in bushcraft and, and this sort of outdoor, um, outdoor activities, outdoor survival to a, to a degree. Um, the, the magazine itself, we're in um, WH Smith's and stores like Black's, uh, Cotswolds Outdoors, Field and Trek, and then retailers such as Springfield's, Ronnie Sunshine's, Nordic Outdoors, so it's, it's widely available. Um, and the readership really is still a mix. We've we've still got we've got subscribers ranging from the age of four through to eighty four. Um, there's a, a lady eighty four takes it because she likes to just read about it and, and increase her knowledge. Isn't able to get out and do the activities, but it's it's an interest base. And we've we found the the mix, particularly with with families. Families love the magazine because there's something in it for everybody. Um, we've got some, some families that take multiple subscriptions because the husband and wife fought over the copy or the, the husband and the dad, the, the dad and the son fought over the copy. So, um, But no, it really is. Um, I think there's, there's a, big, a big concentration of, of people kind of wanting to get back into the, the outdoors and kind of reconnect with things. And then in doing so, using some of the items around them for crafts and, and getting into that side of it. I suppose there's a balance and appreciation and understanding of their environment, isn't it? Uh, I mean, shows like this, I, I'm sort of in two minds whether they sort of almost had their day in some respects. You, you know, it's quite, um, it's quite a commercial enterprise to put on, and so correspondingly it's very expensive proportionally for a family to get in. Uh, but I see that you, you yourself of are looking at doing a much more natural uh, base show in the outdoors where obviously this activity is, uh, is uh, more in balance. Indeed, no, it's, it's, it's in its home environment really. Um, we, I mean, we attend a number of indoor shows and it's, it is difficult whilst, as you can see around us, there's, um, we've got trees here, real trees, we've got various crafts going on using natural products. It's, it's, it is difficult to kind of create an outdoor setting in, indoors to that, you know, to that same level. Um, the show that we're, we're doing, it's called the Bushcraft Show. Um, it's at, just at the end of Lake Windermere in the Lake District. So we've got a 400-acre area of woodland that we can access. We've got a mile and a half uh, coastline of Lake Windermere that we can access. So from a, 
a kind of appeal point of view it's there's something there for everyone there's open canoeing there'll be activities free activities ranging from um, archery wild foods tracking um, camp craft skills there'll be off-roading bushcraft on horseback there's a there's a whole sort of encompassment of, of the outdoor sector really um, we've got people like Grands Falls Brooks coming over, they're going to be doing forging demonstrations, forging a knife and axe and then there's have a go session so people can actually make and take away their own knife, their own axe um, the, the bulk of the activities are free there um, there are some paid sessions we've got people like Lars Felt coming over from Sweden, he'll be doing talks and demonstrations, both free and sort of specialist instruction sessions um, we've got an open canoe specialist coming over from Sweden. He builds um, canvas canoes. That's his, his specialism. And he's going to be doing paddle-making workshops and things like that. So there's, there's really a, 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 good, um, a good mix of, of right. crafts and skills. I mean, that's an awful lot of crafts and skills there for, for somebody to visit. I mean, is it just for a weekend or is it a long weekend or several, you know, during the week? Yeah, it's, it's a long weekend, basically. Friday, Saturday, Sunday... Um, ticket holders, the, the camping's included in the price, so ticket holders can come on the Thursday Thursday night after six. They can camp there for the whole weekend. Um, it's a great break in the lakes. It's a, a beautiful part of the countryside, um, obviously an idyllic setting. The the site that we're using is, is the lakeside site. It's one of the largest, well, it is the largest outdoors centre in Europe. Um, very well facilitated. There's archery ranges there. There's high rope courses there's, there's a whole range of, of facilities that we can plug into um proper toilet shower blocks drying rooms washing up facilities so it's it's they, they've actually got a, a a camping area sort of set so there's water taps around and it's it's a I mean, that's that's usually the most important thing for the fairer sex isn't it to make sure they Indeed, can cl- yeah. they're clean washed and <laughs> and uh and smelling sweet and uh, certainly a few of the shows that can be a little bit rough and ready around the edges yeah i mean we've we've got the there's a a building that we're using as, as sort of the base um, and there'll be a catering company in there so there'll be somewhere that people can go and sit down inside and, and there's food available, there's a so, first so aid even room. if the weather is so terrible it's, it's, there's, it's, you're, you're covered. Yeah, it's there. Yeah, yeah Good, good. And um, the, the magazine itself then um, has it sort of changed at all? Or do you feel that the, sort of the vibe to the magazine is, has changed over the last couple of years and do you think anything is, is uh, influencing you at the moment for any new development? Um, we've we, it, it's always evolving. It's, it's it's evolutionary. We we look at what kind of articles and, and features to put in there. Um, something that we've we've introduced since we last spoke is is a specific wildlife section that's that's focused on interest in wildlife. Um, linked with that are examples of, of prints, um, examples of, of hides and, and sort of tracking skills um, for people. We've we've basically found the crossover. Of, of interests is, is so huge. Um, we, we produced a page which they, they put in Country Walking and branded up for us, which was a bushcraft tip for a, a series of, of 12 issues, so a, a year's worth with them, um, because they're, they're appreciating that the, the walking fraternity whilst out on a, on a walk you could perhaps pick a leaf and say, oh, this is such a thing, you can use this for so-and-so. And it's, it's really, I think, it's bringing out and... and the whole outdoor industry seems to to be swaying this way and it's, it's bringing out that that sort of innate uh, primitive if you like um, 
sense in all of us and it's it's about reconnecting back and, and appreciating nature appreciating what's around um, and getting that bit more from it yeah yeah I definitely agree with you there and I think once you you get involved in any sort of outdoor hobby walking or paddling or cycling or whatever it's it is nice to understand more and and um, educate yourself and just be more familiar and comfortable in, in that environment isn't it certainly yeah I mean that's that's what we're finding really we've as I say, there's there's the walking side. We've got people that, that go out and do fishing that want to do that a little bit more. Maybe they'll do a wild camp whilst they fish and maybe they're interested in panassing the fish and cooking it on a fire whilst they're there. So there's, there's, it's just really a, a, vast, a vast crossover. If you have any feedback, questions or suggestions, why not drop us a line directly to our email address, info at theoutdoorstation.co.uk. Call us now and leave a voice message. You can Skype or call us at local rates at any time from any phone on 0208 And finally, let's go back to our last piece from the Outdoors Leisure Show at the NEC uh, in March. Uh, and this is where Andy and I sit down and do a review of our, uh, our impression of the show, should we say, uh, on that first day. But since then, a few facts have been released. Let me just tell you those so you can keep those in mind. Uh, that apparently the show pulled in 35,000 people. Uh, they have a three-year agreement to continue with the show for another two or three years uh, and that 25% of exhibitors have already rebooked. So keep those facts in mind as we have the following conversation. Drawing to the end of uh, Friday at the first day of the three-day outdoor leisure show, the new show at the NEC, uh, Andy and I have uh, thought we'd have a couple of minutes to uh, reflect on our thoughts. Uh, it is half term, so uh, there's uh, a reasonable number of uh, families with uh, with children here, certainly. And there's been one or two stands that have certainly attracted the children's attention, such as the uh, the bushcraft stand where they're doing lots of demonstrations, uh, canoeing, climbing, and of course some stunt cycling. Uh, but the the rest of the stands are a bit of a mix, a mix between people showing products and selling products, and also uh, products that not necessarily associated with the outdoors. That's true. I mean, it's a small show, and I guess this isn't the same show that we've traditionally visited here, and that's moved out to London. So I guess this is a a new stab at something different by the organisers. And I guess it's not the best of times, really, economically, to launch a new show, but but it is quite small and and, uh, difficult to see where the niche is, and I think difficult to see where the future of this kind of show goes. Yeah, I think uh, from a commercial point of view, um, most of the stands I've spoken to certainly said it's, it, it is obviously an expense to attend the show, but it's also the amount of money that visitors have to spend. It's £15 to get in, um, which is a sizable amount of money if you're a family of four, uh, and that's £15 a head. It's, uh, it certainly adds up. Uh, is it really value for money? I don't think it is. I mean, I think if you, these days, I suspect people would come expecting to see a lot more opportunity to buy a cut price kit and there really isn't that much really there's some power mower here as usual doing reasonably well although certainly not quite as well as in uh, usual years but they always do well and they've, they've got some discount stuff on their stall but not a great deal and um, there are a couple of other um, shops that I've got um, featuring four or five manufacturers but it, it, it's not even really a place you come to get a good bargain is it? I mean uh, people like Alpkit are obviously here and um, plugging hard their um, value for money gear but um, I, I, 
you know, I guess you look around and you think, well, we are still in the middle of a very difficult economic time. Definitely. Uh, as you say, you've got outkit, you've got um, yeomans, go outdoors, of course. Inevitably, the go outdoors get everywhere. Um, but then round the outside, you've got some spurious stands that are to do with wool or to... I mean, there's a guy down there selling toy helicopters. Yeah, there is, yeah, yeah. And uh, quite a lot of uh, slightly wacky, hippie-ish type um, stuff on the fringe as well. One of the things there is this year, there's... Um, there's a reasonably good display of tents, and most of them are static tents. But the new Terra Nova range is here, and that was interesting to have a look at. Yeah, I think there's definitely a place to, to see more of this sort of uh, equipment, but um, whether it's worthwhile making the, the trip to... If this is going to be the future of this type of show, this sort of size and cost, whether it's actually value for money for visitors as well as uh, exhibitors, um, I really don't know. No, well, you can look at something like some of the Terranova tents, and it is the new range, and you can, you can think, well, at least you have a chance to handle them and feel them. But with a company like that anyway, their, their quality control should be such that you don't really need to do that. Um, again, with the Alp kit gear, you can have a look at their sleeping bags um, and, you know, just, just check the quality of what they do against the price. And I think they'll probably do quite well, because if you're looking at down clothing... Um, down bags, down jackets I mean they're offering exceptional value for money um, but there actually isn't that much to spend your money on here and you know whether it's worth coming all the way whether it's worth coming 100 miles or so just to have a look at a new Terran over tent I've got my doubts about that mm. I do get the feeling that a lot of the stands space has been filled in randomly um, and it's nice to see sort of slightly alternative uh, areas of interest, like the people I spoke to, the farm stay and some of the independent hostel associations, all little companies that are, are pushing their, their services to the outdoors uh, community, which is, which is good. But certainly the, you can see there's a lot of dead spaces that I think the organisers have just filled in randomly to, um, to give it a better presentation. Well, one of the things that's always been interesting in the NEC shows certainly over the last three or four years, um, have been the smaller stands, and particularly the, the local tourist organisations um, that have set out to really sell their little part of the country. And um, that's kind of missing this year, really. There is a little bit of that, but you can see that um, presumably people have been down to the big show uh, in London, which was had a really strange time. It was two weeks after New Year, which I guess is not a good time for to encourage people to go out and spend money. Um, but but uh, we're, we're missing that whole range of things that I think just gave it a little bit of something different. You know, you used to be able to stumble on something you never thought of before and, it, and you're really not getting that effect here. Yeah. And what about um, having the, the caravan and camping or the caravan and boating show in the other four halls next to it? I see there's a lot of cross-fertilisation through the doors of people going through from this show to those and, and vice versa. I don't know if they're bringing any money with them, though. I doubt it. I mean, you have to go and have a look at that because there's just not enough to look at here. I don't mean to be negative and critical about it because I think it must be pretty difficult to launch a new show like this. But you walk into the Camping and Caravan show and it's like walking into another dimension. Um, and, uh, again, there, you know, you're looking at uh, some wonderful and weird kit in terms of camper vans and in terms of tent, uh, in terms of uh, caravans but you know you're talking an awful lot of money and you can kind of tell as you wander around can't you that uh, uh, I'm, I'm not sure I'd be wanting to earn my wages in caravan commissions this year 
Well, also the people looking at them, I think it's a different type of community, although they're, as much as they're interested in the outdoors, uh, outdoor communities is differently, uh, differently built, so should we say, to the, um, the more active user. I think if there's one theme that runs through both of these shows, it's the, um, the kind of family camping or caravanning theme. If you look at the tents in the, the main outdoor uh, show, um, there's a lot of tents that would really be quite good value for money as static sites, you know, for a couple of people having a walking holiday or a holiday in the summer or taking a couple of small children with them. You can see how uh, this kind of stuff works quite well for that, that kind of market. And to be fair, you know, we've all been through it ourselves with our own children. You know, that, you know for, for 10 years of your life, that's a pretty good holiday. Yeah, there's a time and a place for it. Um, but, but that's really, I think, where the focus is going to be. That's, that's where it's at, at least in these two shows. And that pretty well brings this one to a close. So thanks uh, to all my guests for contributing, to Simonella, to Paul Reynolds, and of course to Andy as well. And until next time, folks, enjoy the sunshine and the fine weather, and get out more. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To hear more from our extensive free library, please visit the website at theoutdoorstation.co.uk. You can now follow The Outdoor Station on Facebook, where we chat about each programme we produce, answer questions and discuss future productions. Why not join us there? This podcast is produced and hosted by theoutdoorstation.co.uk.